Hola and welcome to Catholic View. Thank you so much for joining me this Wednesday evening. I'm Sheila Pires. Coming up in today's broadcast, we'll be taking a look at community protests. But first, a quick look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. So do stay tuned. My name is Clem Fenton, the National President of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul, South Africa. You're listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. In your headlines this Wednesday evening, Pope Francis reflects on Mary as mother of hope. Millions at risk from famine in Somaliland. And Mayor of Johannesburg asks for calm amid surface delivery protests. Good evening once again. I'm Sheila Pirish. At this morning's general audience, Pope Francis continued his catechesis on hope, this time turning to Mary, mother of hope, as a powerful example. Lydia O'Kane reports from Vatican Radio. On the eve of his apostolic visit to Fatima, Pope Francis on Wednesday described Mary as the mother of hope, adding that she was a woman of courage, perseverance and obedience. Speaking to the thousands of pilgrims and tourists in St. Peter's Square, the Pope said that Our Lady's experience of motherhood models that of so many mothers in this world, mothers who have had to confront the suffering of their children. He went on to say that she courageously accepted her vocation and welcomed the new life entrusted to her. The Holy Father also noted how despite the trials in her life, she remained always obedient to God. Mary, Pope Francis commented, is with her son until the very end. Her image, he said, standing at the foot of the cross and grieving the death of her innocent son, has inspired artists of every age to present her as a model of persevering hope in God's promises. The hope that Our Lady had underlined the Pope was the fruit of a life of prayer and daily effort to be conformed to God's will and was fulfilled in Jesus' rising to new life. We are not orphans, Pope Francis added. We have a mother in heaven who is the Holy Mother of God. Non siamo orfani. Abbiamo una madre in cielo. Following his catechesis, the Holy Father, greeting Portuguese-speaking pilgrims, asked for prayers for his upcoming visit to Fatima. He also had words of welcome for a delegation of young Russian priests from the Patriarchate of Moscow, who are being hosted by the Pontifical Council for the promotion of Christian unity. Moving on to African news, Tanzania's president, John Magufuli, said his government will enforce a new rule requiring mining firms to list on its bursar by August as part of measures aimed at increasing transparency and spreading wealth from the country's natural resources. 
Major foreign-owned mining companies in Tanzania that will be affected by the requirement to list on the Dar es Salaam Stock Exchange include Acacia Mining, PLC, Anglo Gold, Ashanti and Petra Diamonds. By listing these companies on the stock exchange, we will be able to monitor how much revenue they actually get, said Magufuli. Caritas Internationalis, the Church's Confederation of Relief and Development Agencies, has warned that millions are at risk from famine in Somaliland, a self-proclaimed independent region within Somalia. Amid a devastating drought, 6.2 million people, more than half of the country, are going hungry, stated Caritas. Some 185,000 children could die of starvation if they don't receive urgent medical attention within weeks. More than 6,000 migrants have been rescued from the Mediterranean Sea after leaving the North African coastline at the weekend. The number is not a record, according to the International Organization for Migration, IOM, but it is an indication that the sailing season has begun in earnest. Reports have also emerged that armed gangs have targeted migrants on the high seas, robbing them of their mobile phones and boat engines. Daniel Johnson from UN News spoke to the IOM's Joel Milman. Well, we're hearing about acts of violence on the high seas, in addition to the acts we've heard on, on the coastline and, of course, the terrible tragedy of, of people drowning from unsafe vessels. The most astonishing thing, and, and we think it points to what we would call a fraying of the infrastructure that smugglers and traffickers are relying on, is acts of robbery. Once a migrant vessel, usually a rubberized dinghy, is out at sea, groups will come out and take the engine away. We heard this week of all the migrants lost their cell phones, which was kind of mysterious because they're not that valuable, and uh, maybe it was just something that the groups did viciously. Are these smugglers, are these people who put them out to sea and then come back to retrieve the engine? We've heard that, but we don't know in every case that that's what's happened. We also hear that there are scavengers, you know, boats wash up and someone comes along and takes the engine. But what it does tell us is the components that smugglers feel they need to conduct this business are getting harder and harder to come by in a place like Libya. And so that would account for some of the violence and some of the robbery. We know that Interpol and others are out there scouring for criminal groups that are trying to acquire boats and boatyards and wrecking companies and things like that. There's been pressure put on some exporters not to send large consignments. I understand a year ago a container went to a Mediterranean island. Uh, that slipped in, and it would have been very provocative in the light of the current context if, you know, a container full of hundreds of these inflatable dinghies shows up on a Mediterranean island close to the Libyan coast. But... In general, we understand that the most effective thing we can do right now is encourage migrants to go home if they want to. We're up to about 3,000 IOM has managed to do voluntary returns with, mostly directly from the detention centers in Libya. So that's 3,000 people we know who aren't getting on a boat this year, and that's a good thing. And finally, back home, following endless protests in the south of Johannesburg over service delivery and community demands to meet with the mayor of Johannesburg, Henry Mashaba has issued a press release this morning asking communities to give his office time. Luanda Mfeke is the media specialist of the office of the executive mayor. As the city of Johannesburg, uh, uh, we're, we're quite uh, appreciative of uh, and recognize the frustration of of the community following years of mismanagement um, and neglect. Uh, we hear their pleas for, for dignified housing, 
into economic opportunities. And certainly, as our administration is 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 not only willing but working hard towards achieving achieving recognizable gains for those communities and giving them the kind of services which which they demand. Um, our primary concern has been over the last few days has been that we've seen criminal elements uh, begin to spring up during these protests. And we think that those criminal elements and the criminal activity that we've seen ultimately undermines the very real and legitimate concerns of those communities. Thankfully, uh, working together with SAFs, the JNPD have formed a joint task force, which ultimately will aim to identify those people who are responsible for criminal activity um, and also just restore peace and order within those communities. Whilst we, we work towards uh, meeting uh, legitimate community leaders and addressing the, the community's concerns. But then what about the request from the residents in Inadel? Will the mayor meet with them? Uh, so I think what the mayor is currently doing now, um, as, as we alluded to this morning, is that we're, we're, we're trying to reach out and identify who the legitimate community leaders are, first and foremost, and, and, and begin discussions with those relevant stakeholders. And that will then be followed followed by by, community, by larger community meetings. But it's also quite important to, to state that it's, it's not entirely possible to have uh, stable and productive community meetings in the current violent climate that we've seen uh, due to the criminal activity that I alluded to earlier. Even this afternoon, the NMC of Housing, um, NMC Duli, had planned to go to those communities later this evening until the city received intelligence that there, are, there, were, there were plans, rather, to violently disrupt those meetings. And therefore, we couldn't guarantee the safety of the residents who legitimately wanted to come and negotiate, well, wanted to come and engage with their government. And so we, we need to make sure that not only do we identify the right leaders to discuss, the right, the appropriate leaders to discuss the, the, the residents' challenges, first and foremost, but that we can also, once we have these community meetings, ensure the safety of our residents, which is our, our primary concern as well. In his statement earlier today, Mr. Herman Mashaba did mention that he's asking for time, for people to be patient, and that things do not happen overnight. You are in power now for the next five years. How long will it take for all these service deliveries to eventually take place? That the service delivery, uh, in the service delivery in the city as a whole, whether you're looking at infrastructure or actual services themselves, we've seen a, a significant backlog in the city. Just on infrastructure alone, uh, we're looking at, at, at infrastructure backlogs, backlogs that run into the billions. Resolving those things within the city's current budget framework is, is a, a, an enormous undertaking um, and will take time. But that's not to say that they, they, we already aren't taking tangible steps to address them. If, if, if you look at our current proposed budget for, for, the next, for the coming financial year, which begins in June, we're looking to invest almost 60% of the city's capital infrastructure expenditure in communities like Eldorado Park, uh, like Alexandra, like Soweto, in formal communities that need services like electricity, um, access to water, and the like. 
um, housing in some respects. Those are things we're already looking at already as a city. Um, we, we, already, we are already in the position to, uh, I believe in June, we'll be handing out title deeds, about almost almost 2,000 title deeds, if I, if I don't stand to be corrected. In previous administrations, there were whole years where title deeds were simply not handed out. So I think we'll, we, the, this administration is quite serious about delivering the kind of change that, that the people of, of Johannesburg voted for when they, when they elected a new administration. We will, we, will see, we will see changes, but those changes will be gradual. And that's, why, that's what the mayor means when he says, it's going to take a little time, but we are actively working to, to do and make the changes that the people want to see. We continue to plead uh, with, with the people of Johannesburg to work with, with us, and in particular with respect to the protest, we plead to the community to observe the law. We plead to the community to report to SAP and the JNPD, anyone who is involved in criminal activity, because we ultimately think that the, the perpetration of crime under the guise of, of service delivery process ultimately harms the real and legitimate demands of, of residents, and that's not something we want to do. We're a government that aims to engage with our residents and would like to do so in a proper and, and lawful manner. And that was a brief look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. You're still listening to Catholic View on Radio Veritas, and I'm Sheila Pirsch. Thank you once again for joining me this Wednesday evening. Coming up next, we'll be taking a look at community protests. Widespread community service delivery protests across South Africa have led to a rise in criminal activity, school children out of school, as well as public property destroyed. The Justice and Peace Commission of the Archdiocese of Johannesburg, together with the Catholic Parliamentary Liaison Office, held a roundtable discussion about community protests. I spoke to Mr. Joseph Dube, who heads the Justice and Peace Commission of the Archdiocese of Johannesburg. Yes, I think one of the, 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 the issues that came out of the, 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 the roundtable was, I think, probably uh, summit by saying uh, a, quote, a quote from Mahatma um, Gandhi, when he said, you may never know what result comes out of your actions, but if you do nothing, there will be no results. So I think it was on those basis that I think um, the discussions yesterday uh, looked at uh, uh, community protests, but probably I think uh, the correct word that uh, we ended up agreeing was to say it's about service delivery protests. When community protests, they protest because there's a lack of service delivery. And uh, one of the issues that uh, w- w- was, was presented at the, at the, at the roundtable was to say, I think uh, the integrated development plans that municipalities are supposed to be, you know, implementing or consulting on, um, have become like a tick box for, for for them to report to national government to say we have done it. So when in actual fact that the projects that community are saying local government should be delivering on or should be working on, they are not doing that. So there is actually, like recently, I think you might be seeing now what is happening in El Dorado Park and Clip, in Clip Town, the protest there. We just came out of the integrated development uh, plan processes, consultations. And uh, one of the issues that came out of that was to say, how can the municipality cluster wards to try and get a project? Because each ward has got its own different needs and it's, it's got its own uh, dynamics. 
So they needed to make sure that each ward was supposed to have been consulted rather than just, you know, uh, cluster them. And, and that's why they feel like ultimately what is happening now is that you're just ticking a box. Uh, the other issue that came out was about um, uh, ethical leadership, but also they actually questioned whether the structures that we have are ethical, but in actual fact they're actually saying uh, most of the structures that we have currently in governance or in our country are not um, ethical. Uh, one of the proposals was to say, Maybe what we need to do is that the country has to review the electoral process, that um, this proportional idea is not working because um, members of parliament are just, you know, allocated to communities without actually consulting those communities to say which MP or member of parliament should be representing you. And the same thing is with municipalities, that um, in municipalities there's also the whole issue of proportional and that's why, for example, if you look at uh, the, the, the results that came out of Johannesburg in municipality, was that it was proportional that those particular parties were able to get more votes because of that proportional arrangement. So they say, look, we need to review that. We need to go an approach of making sure one person um, gets voted for that particular area and be accountable to the community. Because most of the people that are in government now are no longer accountable to... Um, to the communities, they're actually accountable to their party because if, you know, the chief whip of that particular party demands such and then the person has to do according to what the party wants rather than what the community wants. So those are some of the, the outcomes that came out of the, of the protest. But I think also I need to emphasize that communities protest because that they would have, for example, they would say they would have gone to a meeting try to use, you know, meetings as a, as, a, as, a, as a way of finding results, but because they don't get those, you know, those results, so what they then do is that they shift from public meetings to marches on the streets. And what then they use, I think I would want to use this word with quotations to say they go into a battle street, you know, where they then start burning tires, some will then go and loot shops, and even to some extent, they start building, even uh, burning up uh, government structures, or even, I think you might have seen in, uh, in one where they burnt schools, uh, in, uh, recently in Ramfontein where they, in Mkhaten, they burnt the library. So, so that's what they do. And then it becomes a battle kind of thing. And they're saying, look, that's the only way the government will listen to us. And that's when they get attention. But because if they use the former processes of meetings, they tend to be determined. The outcome gets determined by who, who holds the power. And most of the time, it's always the government officials that then determine the outcome of these meetings. So there are some of the things that came out. And it was interesting to, to, to hear communities themselves, the community leaders that were speaking there. Uh, we had uh, Mr. Billy Peterson from uh, Clip Town as a community leader. But also, I think we had also uh, Dr. Uh, Karin Ranikam who is from the University of Johannesburg, who also made a presentation around, uh, uh, he looked at the, you know, they did the research, and they looked at protests since 1997 to 2013. And in that particular period, we had about almost over, over 65,000 protests around the country. And of those, uh, 46% were labor protests, and 22% were service delivery protests. 
and um, this came at I think this data was collected from uh, uh, from the police and police actually have got what they have got a system that they use to to capture um, um, uh, protest. They call it incident registration information system. So in any pro or any gathering that happens anywhere around the country, each police station has to gather this to capture that data. And that's the data that they are using that is from the police. And according to the police um, report around this particular pro, pro, um, protest, they're saying 80% were orderly. So what this means was they were peaceful. Uh, and 10% were disruptive. And 10% were violent. Um, it would be interesting to, 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 to unpack that. Uh, what did they mean by violent? Uh, uh, for, for us, you know, as a church, but also as, as a Department of Justice and Peace, we actually want to expand that, whether you call it disruptive or violent, to also include, you know, um, uh, understanding what uh, Pope Francis uh, told us, that we need to take care of our common home, that if we're going to be burning tires, we are polluting air. And by polluting air, actually, we are violating, you know, that particular space. So we need to then expand that it's not only when somebody dies or somebody bends a tire or somebody loots, you know, the you know loots somebody's shop, but we need to expand that definition to include, you know, air pollution as one of those uh, areas that uh, because ultimately that air that you know when you bend tires, uh, that air goes into uh, space, you know, uh, atmosphere. We then need to breathe. We end up breathing that, and we end up breathing those tires. So those are some of the things that um, um, uh, we spoke about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. But I think, yeah. sorry? No, 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 yeah. carry on. Yeah, I was going to say that I think one of the, I think they, they did pick up, I think Dr. Ka, uh, Karen picked up that uh, uh, in 2012, that was the highest peak of protests. We had about 15 protests per day in the country, so which is a huge number, you know, and I think it's, 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 it's really a concern. That I think uh, that uh, even if yes we talk about uh, uh, we've got a constitutional right to protest, but I think it should not because usually communities will say we want to meet first and then after meeting if we don't get any any results then we can protest. And uh, unfortunately, what happens I think in many municipalities they don't you know provide correct data or information to national government in terms of what they are doing around these issues. And because of that, you know, people are sitting on, on information or not providing information. And, and unfortunately, the people who then get the plans are always the councillors in the communities because sometimes the, they are just politicians and with the limited information and with uh, actually with no influence because even if a, a councillor is elected and goes into, you know, into a council meeting, the people that make decisions are the executive of that particular municipality, the, in the, the mayor or committee. You know, those are the people that make decisions, and those are the people that have got power. And uh, what what councillors literally, I think, uh, they've been reduced to just you know uh, be a representative of that community. But in actual fact, decisions are not made by them. So that's some of the issues that came out of the, mm-hmm. the, the roundtable. In terms of service delivery protests, we look at Northwest, for example. How does the government intervene there, or how does the local government intervene in such a case? What do they expect from the government? 
So I think there um, there are there, there are a couple of issues there in in the, in the case of uh, of uh, of, uh, of Northwest. One is that I think um, the lack of uh, you know of of, of education in terms of um, uh, awareness to to communities that um, you know with the with the justice system you know in South Africa and the requirement of justice system is that um, that uh, a person is is a right to apply for bail. And uh, it's up to the argument that gets presented by both by the state and by the defense lawyer that then makes that assists the judge to make a decision, you know, or a magistrate to make a decision. And it was based on that information that was provided to the to the courts by both the defense and the pro, you know the the, the and the prosecutor that made that decision by the you know by the courts to make that decision. So I think it's important that we need to you know we need to continue educating our communities to understand that that if anything goes to court, for you to then get a favorable decision is to then put pressure on the prosecutor to put an argument, a strong argument to say we want these people to stay in you know in 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 in, uh, in prison until the court hearing. So, so those are some of the things that we need to, to, to educate our communities. But also, I think the other component is that I think it actually raises this particular issue that racism has not, you know, um, gone away. We try to pretend as if there is no racism in South Africa, you know, uh, and unfortunately, that we need to acknowledge that to say, um, if uh, and unfortunately, a, de- a defenseless child dies, you know, at the hands of adults, and who happens to be, you know. Um, to be white, you know, there's always an uprise, you know, and, uh, and, 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 and I think that has to be then be looked at and say, how do we better manage that? And I don't think it's the government's job to, to, to try and deal with the issue. It becomes a moral issue. It's an issue that probably the churches, you know, in the Northwest need to stand up and then bring people together and to look at ways of how do we reconcile, you know, as, as a society in particular in this, in this case. Um, in, 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 in Northwest. And I'm glad, I think, in the Archdiocese of Johannesburg that uh, the bishop um, uh, requested that we, 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 we conduct a, a survey in the, in the diocese to find out whether there was racism in the, in, the, in the church. And I'm glad that I think there is some, to some extent we are aware that what dynamics are at play in our diocese, and um, we, we, we're counting on the bishop's conference to then guide us in terms of dealing with racism in, in our diocese. And there will be a process, and we're just waiting for um, the bishops' conference uh, to consult with the bishops at the, at the plenary in August so that then we get uh, a go-ahead to then look at um, uh, discussing the issue of racism in the church. And I think there's that need to discuss. And then if we discuss and talk about it, and then to actually identify some of the factors or a symptom that then trigger racism in, in the society to then be aware of them, and but also to look at how we we manage them and uh, move forward in the society and build a better South Africa. Well, Joseph, thank you so much for your time and uh, for giving us the feedback with regards to the roundtable discussions around community protests. Any last words? I think uh, I, 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 my, my last word is actually to say that I think the church will continue engaging on these issues. And I'm glad that one of the issues of the action that we agreed to do was to then have a, a, a seminar that would then look at ethical leadership, and we we'll have it in, August, in, in June. Um, to have, and we were hoping that all uh, government officials and uh, 
municipality councillors who are Catholics will come and join us and have that kind of discussion to say what is ethical leadership, you know, and what are, are we expected to do as a, as a church around uh, ethical, you know, uh, leadership. And as well, we are actually looking at discussing uh, uh, the the life is the bang that you know I think you are aware that uh, 94 people passed you know were killed uh, psychiatric patients were killed and we are going to be discussing to say what could have what could have been done by Catholics who are in the health professional what could have that do to avoid that incident to happen so we are looking at that and we have that kind of discussion in May uh, on the 27th of May in um, in, in at Our Lady of Wayside in Maryville. So definitely we'll be inviting all Catholics who are in the health professional to come and have that kind of discussion with us. Thank you very much. And that brings me up to time. This has been your Wednesday's edition of Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Shayla Pitch for Radio Veritas. Should you wish to get in touch with me, feel free to email me on shayla at radioveritas.co.za. I'll be back again at the same time tomorrow evening. Until then, thank you so much for listening. God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Shayla Pitch.